Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 868. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Henry Washington, and I'm here with the bad boy of real estate, Mr. Rob Abasolo. What's up, my friend? That's right. The bad boy and the birthday boy of real estate. Happy birthday! How old are you? I'm 34, so I thought it'd actually be really great if we started the show with you telling me your favorite 34 things about me. Yes. uh, Starting down the list, my 34th favorite thing about Rob is that he isn't going to make me do all 34 of these. No, no, I'm not going to make you do that. But we do have a killer show today where we're going to be talking to two investors, Dedrick and Crystal Polite, who have such a great name, but they're also active investors in North Carolina, Virginia, and Massachusetts. And they also just so happen to be the stars of A&E's 50-50 Flip. Today, we're going to be discussing how they're using their real estate business to fund their other insanely profitable businesses. So stay tuned for that. We are also going to be discussing how they've pivoted their real estate business in this more volatile, risky market. I like to call it taking what the defense gives you. And we even get a little bit of advice on how spouses can work together. Something new we're going to be trying this year is putting everyone's favorite show into a segment at the end of every single episode, Seeing Green. After this interview, David Green and I will be taking a listener question about private money. And if it's a good tool for your first investment. Without further ado, let's bring in Dedrick and Crystal Polite. Dedrick, from our understanding, you were the one that was really interested in real estate. When did you get into the game? I got into real estate in 2001. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I bought my first house in 2007. I was like, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, what's that? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's something I should put on my reading list? Yeah, well, it actually goes all the way back to Carlton Sheets in the 90s. My mom ordered one of the infomercials. She saw it on a late night. And as a teenager, I would watch these, you know, these VHS tapes and kind of dream about the fancy cars and the big mansions and the real estate riches as a kid. Uh, never thought I could actually achieve it myself because it was just so far-fetched at the time. But that's when the seed was planted. That's amazing. And Crystal, how did you get on board with Dedrick's vision of being a real estate investor? How did I get on board? I got sick and tired of hearing him talk about it. Um, it's kind of how I got on board. When I met him, he had nothing but books and VHSs and tapes of real estate all throughout his house. And he talked about getting into real estate one day and he just kept talking about it. And uh, fast forward, I was like, listen, I'm a doer. So if you're going to keep talking about it, we're going to do it. And he was like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're going to get into it. And then nothing like silence. So I then jumped into it. And you know, if you're going to get me to read and stuff, then we doing it at that point. <laughs> I'm curious, at this point in your marriage and career, are y'all both pretty clued into every single real estate deal? Because my wife will look at my calendar and she'll be like, hey, uh, you're closing on a house today? And I'm like, yeah, I forgot to tell you I bought a house. And she's like, thanks for letting me know. Uh, how's that with you guys? You guys know, are pretty clued in? Yeah, I mean, we're partners. Yeah. So you know, she handles the marketing and the branding and the personnel side of the business. I handle the acquisitions. Um, dispositions, the financing and all that. So, you know, we, we're very much clued into everything that goes on in our real estate ventures. Yeah. I would say on the wholesale side, not so much. Um, so I don't really pay attention to a lot of the wholesale deals that come throughout the company. Um, I'm more so interested in all of our buy and hold. So if it's something that we're going to hold long-term, um, then that's what I want to be notified about. That's what I want to know. A lot of the wholesale deals, I don't really know until he's like, oh, yeah, I got to go deposit this check or, oh, hey, yeah, we wholesaled a couple deals this week. So, yeah, I don't I don't 
I don't want my wife to see this episode. We 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 closed a, we closed on a house yesterday that we were selling, and she was like, "I didn't know we bought it." So that uh, <laughs> that's news. Uh, no, but in, but in all seriousness, um, I I literally wouldn't be where I'm at from an investing perspective without her support. So uh, it's just that she's not involved in the day to day as much anymore. But I, I often see that a lot of people who have uh, great success in real estate uh, do so because of the the foundational relationship they have and the trust that they have in each other. And so you talked a little bit about kind of what your roles are. Can you go into a, a little more detail? So what what are each of you kind of handling in your businesses? Yeah. So from a high yeah. level, she's the visionary. Yeah. I'm the integrator. So she, you know, she's a serial entrepreneur. She casts a vision and my job is to go and execute it. Um, so when you look at the strategies and tactics, for example, all of our buy and holds, crystals over property management. Uh, we originally were self-managing. Now we have managers that she manages for our rental properties, our apartments, our mobile home parks, and also our um, short-term rentals, yep. our Airbnbs. Um, and on, on my side, I handle the acquisitions, the dispositions, um, the financing. Well, actually, do you think you could just tell us what is the difference between acquisition and disposition for anyone at home that may not be familiar with those terms? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So acquisitions is the buying of the property is literally acquiring it, getting it under contract, closing on it. That's acquisitions. And then dispositions is the selling. So it's literally if you're doing a fix and flip is selling the property or if you're doing a rent to own or other creative strategies or renting it, you know, that's the dispositions. Very cool. And so you handle that side of it. And then is there ever like a handoff to, to Crystal or is she pretty much just on the strategy side? Well, we have a team. So, you know, I, I oversee our acquisitions managers and our disposition managers. Yeah. And, and I really take care of the marketing and oversee who's handling what marketing because of depending on what we're wanting to buy at the time. Right. So depending on how the market looks is how our marketing is going to be affected. So I handle that aspect of it. You know, um, asking for a friend, what uh, what kind of marketing are you seeing that's working the best right now? <laughs> <laughs> Please tell us in excruciating detail. Asking for a friend, what's working right now, I would say, um, because of how the market is going, um, we are finding a lot of creative financing deals is what is what's keeping us in the game, right? So Yes, we do uh, fix and flip houses. No, we are not doing them right now because we are not crazy. Um, people who are making the money right now, construction teams, the uh, wholesalers. So for us, it's more so creative financing. Um, we target that silver segment, what we like to call that silver segment of individuals. And that's kind of what's keeping us um, in the game right now is that segment. What is the silver segment? Is that like a specific? So those are elderly over over 65 individuals. And, you know, we know over the past three years since COVID, the market has run up 50% nationwide, whether you made any repairs to the house. So it's been a ridiculously tough market for investors, whether you're a new investor or experienced to get deals. Um, so that's why when Crystal mentions creative financing, that's a way you can offer the seller retail, even more than retail if they're able to accept payments over time versus if you're a wholesaler or a flipper and you're just coming in with a 70% times ARV minus repairs and you're getting hammered with no's and you're feeling dejected. Um, that's how we've been able to kind of pivot and still um, close deals consistently. Yeah. And we all know houses right now are sitting on the market. 
uh, they're, they're not moving. So this is a great time now to even approach ones that are even on the MLS saying, hey, listen, your house has been sitting for 200 days. Let's think of something more creative. So I've heard a few things. I've heard you talking about buy and holds. I've heard you talking about creative finance. I've heard you talk about fi- fix and flip. I've heard you talk about wholesale. Can you kind of paint a picture for us of what your what your business looks like? You know, your marketing deals come in and then you're dispositioning them. But but what what is the business as a whole kind of look like? What are you doing? So we believe in the multiple streams of income approach to investing. Um, if you're just a wholesaler, you only have one tool in your tool belt. We love wholesaling. That's actually how we got into the business because we didn't have a lot of money when we first started. But you have to know multiple strategies, right? Because what if wholesaling doesn't fit that particular situation? There's fix and flip. So we wholesale. We also fix and flip. We also buy and hold. Um, in addition, we do Airbnbs or short-term rentals because what we found with a lot of our single-family rentals was that the cash flow was minimal, three, four hundred bucks a month. But if we did a short-term rental strategy, we can cash flow a thousand to two thousand a month off one single house. So we've converted a lot of our single-family rentals into short-term rentals. And then in addition to that, layering on the creative financing has allowed us to close more of the leads that come in because we all know that ninety-nine percent of offers you make at a wholesale price are not going to get accepted. But when you can offer them retail and just structure the terms creatively, you're going to close a lot more deals. So correct me if I'm wrong. You've got a marketing arm that Crystal is handling and that marketing is bringing in leads for multiple types of dispositions. And then you guys will evaluate those leads and then maybe make one to many offers depending on uh, how you can service that lead. And then you'll disposition or monetize that lead based on those strategies. You got it, Henry. You got it. Everyone, every seller gets two offers, sometimes three or more offers. They'll get a cash Mm -hmm. offer. They'll get a creative finance offer and maybe another type of creative finance offer as well. So it allows us to close a lot more deals versus just being a one trick pony, you know, wholesale fix and flip. And we learned that over time. Right. We learned that when I was bringing in a ton of leads and when Dedrick was in the marketing, it wasn't they weren't falling. And a lot of them weren't biting on these wholesale deals. And I said, listen, I'm doing too much work on my end (laughs) to bring these leads in. I need you to close some of them. So I more of them. More of them. So I had to tell him, like, listen, you got to hone in on creative financing. So I told him from here on out, all leads get two offers. I don't care what it is. And from that point on, not I'm going to say at least 98% of our portfolio is structured creatively. That is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Here's here's a, one of my mentors called this um, respecting his leads. And he felt like leads weren't respected unless you were exhausting every option you could to help the person who brought that lead, right? To, to, to get that there. And the, and the idea is that you're wasting your marketing dollars and efforts if you're not effectively offering all of the solutions you can to try to help that person in that situation so that a, it gives the proper amount of help to the people who are needing it. And B it allows you to build your business as well. And I think a lot of times in this industry, we're taught like people are taught an exit strategy before they're even taught how to go find a deal, right? You hear it all the time. I'm going to be a flipper. I'm going to be a landlord, or I'm going to be a short-term rental host. And what, really matters is 
can you find a good deal? And then can you monetize that deal? And truly, if you find that deal, you're able to monetize it in the way that makes the most sense for you and your business. But having more tools in your tool belt allows you to be a more effective handyman. I love it. Clearly, Dedrick and Crystal have honed the art of finding and monetizing a deal. And we'll break down the details of how they do this right after the break. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, like me, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1, which is crazy. Welcome back. We're with Dedrick and Crystal Polite, who just shared their highly diversified portfolio approach to investing. Now let's jump back into how they're financing some of these deals and sometimes at 0% interest. I love it. Yeah, it's really smart. And you mentioned creative finance quite a bit here. And that's obviously the idea of going and buying a house unconventionally, typically without the use of a bank. So when you're doing these types of deals, obviously you're presenting the wholesale cash price to your buyer. Um, which obviously can can have a little bit of a, a shock effect whenever they're like, wait, how much you want to give me for this? Right. <laughs> um, get out of my house. No. That's what they usually say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And then when you're presenting the creative finance side of it, I imagine there's a, a bit of an education that's needed with these types of leads to get that one to the finish line. So there is some education. So how you typically structure it is, say it's a $250,000 house, right? You as a fix and flipper, a landlord, you're like, all right, well, based on the max allowable offer formula, I need to pay 120 for this for this deal to make sense. They're not going to accept 120 unless they're in dire straits, right? Okay, Mr. Seller or Mr. Seller, I can give you $250,000 for this property. You have no mortgages, no liens, correct? This is how we'll structure it. I'll give you $10,000 down. There'll be a balance of two forty. dollars What we'll do is we'll do a promissory note and a deed of trust or a mortgage, and I'll make you monthly payments of $1,000 a month for the next five to 10 years. How does that sound? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, it's very simple. And that opens up the conversation and then can you educate them and it's, it's a smooth transaction. When you are presenting it like that, are you sometimes presenting it as 100% principal pay down? Um, good question. So again, w- when we first present it, we don't mention interest. We just say payments. And we've structured a lot of deals where it's just 3 to 5% down, sometimes less, and then monthly payments, 0% interest. Because some some sellers don't even care about interest. They're like, look, I've been a landlord for 30 years. I've paid off this property. I've squeezed all the juice out of the orange. Now you're giving me another bite at the orange because you're going to make me payments. I just care about the income stream. So we've had a lot. And, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, what about the interest rate? And we'll say, okay, well, you know, we'll negotiate the interest rate and they'll make even more that way. Now, you mentioned something about these homes being already paid off, which is interesting to me that you're able to land these deals. I imagine it's because you're going for the silver segment. The older generation, in general, they have high equity or paid off mortgages. Is that why you're getting so many of these types of leads where the mortgage is already paid off? Yeah, that's what we focus on. We go for paid off, no liens, uh, free and clear. And again, most of these are tired landlords that have owned these properties for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They're tired of being landlords. They've paid it off. They've put their kids through college. They're 70, 80 years old. They're not chasing tenants and toilets anymore, but they're used to living off that income stream. So if you can continue to keep that income coming in for them, but they don't have the management headaches because you now own the property, it's a beautiful win-win situation. Yeah, that's typically all they care about at this point is that continuous stream of income. So if I'm hearing this correctly, I mean, pretty much, obviously it's creative finance, but the the niche within this that we're talking about is just a straight seller finance deal, right? The owner is acting as the bank here. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, we've done subject to, but that's a more complicated, you know, advanced transaction. We prefer seller finances a lot, a lot cleaner and easier to do. Yeah. I just did a, a seller finance deal here in Houston and uh, the owner had it paid off. He didn't want to pay capital gains tax and he sold it to me for, uh, he wanted it, he wanted 5% interest. And I told him he was an investor and I was like, look, as an investor, you know that this deal loses money at 5%. But at 3%, I'll make a little bit of money and I'll do that deal. And he was like, all right, sure. He didn't really have much of a, a leg to stand on. And so super easy transaction, went to the title company, You know, did they did the paperwork and it was weirdly just the easiest transaction that I've, I've ever done. Yeah. yeah, really yeah if you are. think about it, people are used to making payments. You think about your cell phones. When you go to buy a new iPhone, you don't drop 1500 bucks on it. They're like, oh, we can just upgrade you and add it to your plan. It's 35 bucks a month for the next 36 months. You just It's the same thing with houses. You can just structure yeah. payments over time. And the great thing about it um, from us is we don't put down that down payment, right? So when we tell people like, listen, we don't come out of our pocket um, anything really on these deals, we really don't. We even bring in a private investor 
to fund the the down payment and the closing costs. Yes. So a lot of times we get paid to buy these deals because we're getting them such good prices and terms. Now, if I understand it correctly, you've you've changed your strategy over the years depending on the market conditions. How have the market conditions influenced the pivots these past several years in your business? Yeah, we started out wholesaling. The strategy was to wholesale in order to get capital to buy rental properties and build a portfolio. Um, and then, you know, the TV show came calling. They were like, hey, we want to do a TV show on you guys. You're house flippers. <laughs> we're like, no, we're not house flippers. We're buying hold investors. Right. So they're like, all right, well, we just want to tape what you do. And we started yeah. flipping houses because the market was so hot. And during that process, we do, we learned seller financing from a mentor. And that opened up a whole new world um, to us. And we were able to acquire uh, multiple millions of dollars of single family homes, small apartment buildings, mobile home parks through seller financing. And that's that's kind of how we built our business. But the end goal is always buy and hold. It's never to people be like, oh, you fix and flip. That is an exit strategy. And we probably wouldn't be doing it if we ain't had a TV show. <laughs> but it's good active income. Wholesaling <laughs> and flipping is, is good active income while you build the passive income. And so what was that big moment for you guys, Crystal? Obviously, you know, you're you're doing the wholesaling side of things. Obviously, you're the visionary on this, was this sort of like a big moment for you guys to get out of wholesaling and getting into the fix and flips? Or what was that light bulb moment for y'all? To get into fix and flip? Yeah, yeah. Just to move out of wholesaling or not not focus exclusively on wholesaling. Well, the focus on wholesaling was only to bring in the capital to buy and hold. So our focus has always been on to buy and hold properties. Wholesaling was the means to get that done. So from the very beginning, every wholesale deal that we closed out, we ended up taking that money and we would take a percentage, put it back into marketing, everything else banked to buy down rental properties. That was it. So we never used it for anything else other than to buy and hold properties because we know, I knew from the beginning what my exit strategy was going to be from real estate. Which, which is what? Which is to get into family entertainment centers. And he said, Dedrick said when we met, he was like, hey, we do this real estate thing. That'll be the means to being able to do your dream, um, which is to own these FECs. So I said, okay, bet you got me. So that's how I got do? her buy-in. Her, like I said, her dream, her goal is to own a chain of family entertainment centers. And that's what we're in the process of doing right now. So what I want to do is jump back a little bit and kind of define for people who may not know, like what is an FEC? So what's that family entertainment center? Because when I first heard it, I thought, what is that, like an event space? And then- Henry, let me just say- can I just say, I'm really glad you asked that because I was like, I think I should know what this is, but I'm too scared to ask at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, an FEC is a family entertainment center. So it's basically anywhere that you can go and gather and people have different forms of entertainment. So you have Dave and Buster's, you have Sky Zones, you have... Um, defies you have trampoline parks all types of trampoline parks birthday parties also amusement parks are fecs bowling <laughs> alleys are fecs right so anywhere you can go and really gather with family friends of any age is considered a family entertainment center and we notice a gap in our particular city there's no family entertainment centers like none you have to go an hour in either direction to get to one. So we notice that gap and, and we're filling it. I mean, I would go to uh, Polite Park if that was an amusement park. So okay, <laughs> don't give Crystal any ideas. Okay. The next thing you know, we'll be buying another franchise. I'm in for Polite Park. Uh <laughs> so we put it into a franchise. That half a million dollars is now going to produce, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 grand a month in, right. in cash flow. 
in net cash flow. So, I mean, it's, it was an easy math equation at that point. Okay, family entertainment centers, this sounds very interesting. That's your end goal. How did you reverse engineer it so that real estate was eventually going to fund your your FECs? So how we reverse engineered it was we started buying, like we said, from the very beginning. Dedrick said, hey, listen, let's hold these properties. Let's build up this equity in the properties. Then we'll be able to tap the equity, whether we have to sell it, pull money out, what have you, and take that money and roll it into the FECs. So that's actually exactly what we did when we first bought the, our first franchise, which is Sky Zone. We um, took what two, one of our properties that we had um, held. I think we bought it for, what did we buy Belmont for? 50,000. 50,000. 50,000 exact. Market had appreciated over the next two to three years. We ended up selling it for 215 after about 50,000 in renovations. 215. We took a portion of that and bought um, the Sky Zone franchise. Now we have two other properties that are just sitting. That will be the money that we use from selling those properties, will be the money that we use to fund the SBA loan. So most people don't realize um, with a franchise like Sky Zone, you know, it's a four or five million dollar project. But we didn't realize that you can get a small business association SBA loan. And with the SBA loan, you can put down 10 to 20 percent and then the bank or the government will back the other 80 to 90 percent. So once we found that out, we're like, great, we liquidate some properties that's going to fund the Sky Zone. And that type of business, you know, spits off about a half a million dollars a year in net profit after after everything. So a lot more profitable than than even some of these rental properties. Right. I've heard you guys talk about the idea of trading up and trading out before. Tell us what that philosophy is and what it means for your current real estate strategy. So what that means is, for example, we got two duplexes where there's about, you know, a half a million dollars of equity. So that half a million dollars of equity produces mm, maybe about four grand a month in cash flow. So we look at that like, where can we place this equity where it can produce more? And you talk about trading up into these FECs and using real estate to do that. And one thing that people like about real estate is you're able to buy a rental property and then potentially hand that property off to a property manager to help manage it so that you truly do get semi-passive income. Is that the same when you're buying a franchise or are these businesses that you're hands-on in uh, in order to get those returns you're talking about? So it's pretty much the same. Um, you can either be an owner operator or you can be what they consider like an absentee owner. Um, for us, it'll be a little bit of both. When we first get it, I want to work in it myself, probably for the first six months to a year. So I can really know what everyone's job role is and really know the in and outs of the FEC, because this is just one of many um, that I really want. So I really want to know everything that has to be done. But at the same time, we will have hired a general manager as well. So when I exit, they will enter um, in my absence and then they'll start to manage the day to day while I go and start looking for my second location. And it, and it sounds like that you are, I mean, it's obviously that you, Crystal, in, in particular, are very passionate about this. And uh, so much so that uh, it was, uh, did I read it right? You wrote this into your wedding vows? I sure did. Yes, it was in yes, our wedding sir. vows. So what's what's driving that? Like, why was this particular asset class so important to you? Um, Good question. I have always been, I don't know, I've always been passionate about children um, and entertainment. When I was young, um, in my early 20s, 
I was throwing teen parties for teens. It's a place where all kids can come together. Then I went from that to trying to open up a teen nightclub and got hit with so many restrictions as to from the city. But I've always been very big on, uh, and at the time I didn't know they were called FECs, but very big and passionate on giving um, young people a place to really get together, gather, have fun. And it developed into FECs at, over time because we've, I've had Dedrick, I've literally pulled him to probably visiting 60, 70 different FECs since he's known me because my ultimate goal at the end is to have my own where I've developed and designed my own FEC, which he agreed to, by the way. Yep. Before I said I do really is centered around family entertainment centers and really taking us from that real estate, transitioning us from real estate into another space. Okay. I've got several questions. Uh, I'm very, very intrigued. First of all, I just want to say the family entertainment center, brilliant idea. There's nothing that makes me more mad than the fact that there aren't more places to take your kids in a city. Like you can go to parks, but in Houston, Texas, when it's 110 degrees outside, I mean, it's just, there's nothing to do, right? And it's just such a rare, rare, rare thing to find like places where you can go and have fun with your kids. So um, so with that said, I, I love the business move. I have a couple of follow-up questions here. When, it, when we get into the world of uh, FECs, is this a real estate business? Is this a business? Because I'm curious when you're getting into actually purchasing the asset um, or do you purchase the asset? Tell me a little bit about that. Or do you actually own the building that these are in? So there are a few different options, um, Rob. You can lease the building or rent it out. Um, you can get like a, some people get old Walmarts or Kmarts and they'll retrofit them for the FEC. Some people um, build them, do a build to suit, or you can have a developer build it and then you rent it from them. So there's various options depending on the territory, the area you want to open up in you know, looking at the market and what's available in that market. Okay. Okay. So it dep if you're leasing it, then it's, you basically have a business. If you're buying the property, it's a little bit of both. And that, that's kind of what I'm getting at because it seems like it's an expensive or a possibly expensive business to get in. So tell us a little bit about before you got into the first FEC, how much wealth had you built up through your portfolios that allowed you to do that? Like, what was that moment? Was it a number amount or was it like, Hey, we're we're working towards making this much every month so that we know we can afford this business. Or did you sell off a piece of your portfolio to do this? Give us a little bit of insight into that whole situation. Yeah. So, um, really, to get into it, people look at it and you think like, "Oh my god, this is super super expensive to get into." And I wouldn't say that it is, but I definitely would think your net worth would have to be what you want to definitely be an accredited investor. So you know, be over a couple million net worth. Um, again, it's a four to $5 million project, but the power of the SBA, which is, you know, you putting down 10 to 20%. So you not don't have to put down the whole four to 5 million. You might have to put down a half a million to a million to pull it off. Yeah. And I would say it's not um, incredibly impossible for us. It is more so that's what some of these properties were for. Um, were literally earmarked for the FEC. Yep. The thing is when you are, an investor and not a, what people call a wholesaler. But when you are an investor and you're actually buying these properties, which is what we preach to people, um, is great to wholesale. But if you don't own anything, all you've done is gotten another job. A high paying job. With a high tax bill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that you're going to have to continuously work at. So for us, it was an um, 
a means, right? Go in, take down some of these properties. You're, we're buying them 30, 40, $50,000, sitting on them, renting them out, letting that appreciation come. And we're constantly buying. So it's not like we're saying, oh, okay, we're done now. Ooh, great. Yeah, we'll always do real estate. We'll never stop doing real estate. This is just adding another layer to, to our businesses. So for the properties that we sold off, even for the FEC has already been replaced. Wow. Okay, cool. And I was actually just curious. I mean, you said there was four to five million for an FEC, roughly speaking. How does that cash flow compared to about four to five million dollars of your real estate? Holdings. So again, when you're looking at a business, um, that business cash flows higher. I mean, yeah. real estate is not get rich quick, as you guys know. It, it's get rich slow over time. So again, sometimes you'll have equity trapped in a property, and you'll be like, "Man, I'm ma- I have a ton of equity. I'm only making two, three, four grand a month. If I put this somewhere else, I can 10x my cash flow." But some people get married to the property, right? And they they don't make that move. We're not married to any property. We're married to each other, right? <laughs> At this point, I am dying to hear from both of you about your advice on working with the spouse, and I'm sure the listeners are too. We'll hear about that and their advice for new investors after a quick break. So stick around. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. 
Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. All right, so it seems like you've done a really great job of having great fundamentals within your real estate business, and that has allowed you to pivot when the market has shifted, right? I call it taking what the defense gives you. And so you've been able to pivot your real estate business. That's allowed you to maintain your long-term goal of transitioning and trading up into FECs from your real estate portfolio. What advice would you give to investors who are just starting out on that front side, they want to start that real estate business or they just started that real estate. How do you suggest they get into that game right now? Yeah, my my advice would be to start wholesaling. Um, wholesaling is the art of finding motivated sellers and getting deeply discounted properties. You learn to be the principal in a transaction. And when you learn how to get a property at 50 to 60 cents on a dollar, you don't have to wholesale it. You can wholesale it and make a quick payday of 10 to 20K or you can choose to keep it as a rental property. Why? Because you got it so cheap. You might have to put some repairs into it, but you got it at a really cheap price. Or you can choose a fix and flip. When you learn to wholesale, you again, you learn the art of finding and identifying a deal, and then you can utilize multiple exit strategies to monetize that deal. Yeah, he who finds the deal holds the power, right? And the better you can become at finding these off-market deals, the more power you have and leverage you have when it comes to deciding on your exit strategy. And I would definitely say, don't quit your day job. Everyone wants to get into real estate and people will be like, oh, you can quit your day job in 60 days. Oh, you can quit your day job in 90 days. Listen, stop playing with me. Keep your day job (laughs) and let that be your first investor, right? When we got into it, we was very methodical on when we were going to do our have our exit strategy, our exit plan. And it was not, no, I don't care how much debt you wanted to get into real estate. Unless you showed me the bank right then, we were not quitting. I wasn't quitting my job. It just wasn't going to happen. But we leveraged our jobs as our first investors, right? And we're working both 60, 70 hours a week at these jobs. But we utilized that. We kept it as long as we could before as we started to accumulate these rentals. So I would definitely say if you're getting into it, start with the end in mind. And it should be not to start another business, which is wholesaling, but it should be to buy and hold something, build something that outlives you. That has always been our goal. Build something that outlives you that can literally transcend generation to generation to generation, right? So if we have only built enough up so that our two sons can benefit, we would have failed them. 
It is their kids, kids, kids have to be able to eat off the fruits of our labor. And that's what we're doing on the real estate side, as well as other ventures in the entrepreneurial side. I love that. I don't know that I could say much more. I'm just going to let that be. <laughs> I do have a, I do have one final question before we, before we hop out of here. I mean, you, you guys both seem to be so wonderful together as a machine for anyone out at home that's listening to this, that's thinking about getting into business with their spouse or already in business with their spouse, what advice would you have for them to be successful in this industry? I'll tell you this. It's not easy being in business with your spouse. It's not easy, but it's worth it. What I would say is you have to you start. You see what I'm talking about? Go ahead, honey. You have to start before they become your spouse, before they become your boyfriend. The seeds have to be planted then. And most people look at me like, wait, what? On our first date, I asked Dedrick, what's your credit score? You, he said, are you an entrepreneur? Yes. What kind of businesses have you done? What have you done in the entrepreneurial realm? I asked him, what are your goals? Um, what have you done to start working on those? Like I asked questions that most people don't ask till, you know, it's seven or eight months in, which in my opinion is too late. Mm -hmm. um, are you planning on staying in this state forever? Uh, well, I ain't, I'm not married to it. Okay, good. Cause anyone who's going to be with me has to be willing to move in six months. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. This is what I plan on doing in that area. These are my goals. Um, and if it was something that he would have been like, you know what? I, I just, I like working my sales job. I don't really, you know, that's a little too much. Then that would have been okay too. But a lot of people come up to us and they say, Hey, how can I get my wife in? She's not really interested. Or how can I get my husband in? He's not really interested. And I'm like, well, what conversations did you have when you guys were just getting to know each other? Because at this point, it's kind of like you're now trying to pull that person along on the journey versus mm. setting that journey together when you first get to know each other, right? Those yeah. upfront conversations can't be about, oh, what kind of food do you like? Well, it don't matter to me because I'm not cooking it. Oh, what's my favorite color? It don't matter. I'm not buying nothing in that color anyway. Oh, I don't, I don't care about any of that. It's irrelevant. I'm getting, what's your credit score? He was like, oh, I'm an 820. Well, he was like, well, uh, well, what's yours? He was offended, of course. Well, what's yours? I said 580. Yes, I did. So everybody laughed when I say it. They'd be like, oh, you don't ask him what's yours. And I said, listen, that's right. I asked him because I'm rebuilding my credit. I can't be rebuilding both of ours. Somebody got to come with it. But I got that information out the way in the beginning. So I yeah. tell people, start how you want to finish, right? Start with that end in mind, even in the relationship. Do not wait until you are in an actual relationship dating. Do Definitely don't wait till you're married, but get these conversations out the way. Cause I'm going to tell you being married to an entrepreneur for all of us who are actual real entrepreneurs, you know, it's not easy. And when you are a visionary, mm -hmm. it's even harder for people to really understand your vision. Cause even with Dedrick, it was hard for me to, when I would tell him we owned other franchises and I'm like, Hey, let's sell. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're making like 250000 on this. What do you mean? We need to sell and we need to sell now. And just out of the blue, me telling him this, but because he trusted me and my vision, he was like, okay, well, you say sell, sell. So understanding that you as an entrepreneur are, ne are never going to change. But what you can do is help that journey, help the process, help your future spouse by being really upfront and having those uncomfortable conversations when you sit down on that first date 
and you're getting to know each other. Let it be of substance. Reach. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you both so much, Dedrick and Crystal. It has been such a delight to have you all on the Bigger Pockets podcast. We covered so many things. I think really the the highlight of this show is start with the end in mind. We talked about trading up and out. We talked about building something that outlives you, respecting your leads. So many golden nuggets in this. For anyone that wants to reach out to Dedrick and Crystal or Henry and I, all of our contact information is going to be in the show notes down below. And of course, thank you, Henry, for coming on and co-hosting. It's always a pleasure to share the mic with you, my friend. And again, new year, new episode format. Stay tuned as David Green and I answer a listener question on our first ever Seeing Green segment right after the break. All right. Welcome to our Seeing Green segment where we take questions from you, our listeners, and answer them sharing our perspective so everybody can learn from what Rob and I are seeing. And today's question comes from our good friend, Nick, proverbial friend that is. Nick asks, should I use private money to purchase a house hack soon before prices rise again while I'm still paying my debts off over the next two to three years? Some background on Nick so that we can understand his financial position before we get into the question. The average home price in Nick's area is $350,000 for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom. He earns about $50,000 a year at his job, plus about $20,000 a year from his side hustle, which is wedding and portrait photography. Nick is cleaning up the last $10,000 of his debt. Good for you, Nick. And he wants to save another $10,000 for an emergency fund. He's got stocks that he could liquidate into $13,000 for a 3% down payment on the house where he to buy it right now. And the ideal purchase would be a house hack with a mother-in-law unit or a duplex. Okay, so it sounds like what we need to address here is should Nick act now and buy a home? And is private money a good option to do so? What say you, sir? Do you think he should take private money to purchase his first home? Oh, that's going to be a no for me, dog. I'm not a fan of people borrowing money, especially when it's their first house, especially when they're young. And here's why. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. I like the idea of having to step up your game in some way, especially when you're young. And letting the desire to buy real estate become fuel to make you more ambitious. That's what it was for me. I knew I wanted to buy real estate, so I started picking up extra shifts at restaurants. Then I went to a better restaurant where I got paid more. This forced me to take my first couple steps of growth within like the financial markets and within the marketplace where I was earning money. And I feel like that was a really, really good way for me to start off my beginning investing career was looking for ways to grow my skill set to buy real estate as opposed to just borrowing money from someone else, potentially losing their money. What do you think, Rob? Um, yeah, a couple of things. So he's already in debt and he's working on cleaning it up. Like you said, kudos to, to him on that. Um, it seems a little counterintuitive to you know clean up your debt only to get into debt again. I don't think anyone should be borrowing money until they've really cut their teeth in the industry, understand what good debt is, what bad debt is. Um, I don't know what kind of debt he's in, but if he's in $10,000 of debt, I'd say cut that out, live life debt-free a bit, right? I'm not talking about mortgage or anything like that. I'm talking about credit cards and cards, whatever it is he's trying to clean up and save up a little bit more money and see if he can get into his first house uh, for, without debt. And the reason I say this specifically is because it's a house hack. And usually when people are trying to house hack, it's because they're trying to subsidize their mortgage so that they don't have to pay a mortgage. And I'm all about that. That is my favorite form of real estate. But usually when people are house hacking, it's because money is tight anyways. 
um, and they're trying to make money a little less tight. And so I don't love the idea of going out and borrowing money to then get into a house hack where money is tight. So I'm, I'm pretty much going to go no on this. I'd like to, I wish I could offer a little bit more of a, Hey, you got this. You can believe in yourself and do it, bud, but not on your first one. Yeah, absolutely. You will hear us at times advise people that it is a good idea to borrow money. That typically comes when you have a screaming deal with a ton of equity and you can have a quick turnaround. So if I'm looking at an opportunity to make $250,000 on a flip or a wholesale opportunity or just something with a ton of equity, if I borrow money from somebody else, I'm basically borrowing money to buy money in the form of equity. This is different. We're talking about a down payment of a house that theoretically we're paying fair market value for. And the purpose of the down payment is just to avoid the hard work of having to keep working and paying off debts. I'd rather see that we step up the side hustle, ask for a promotion at the job, work harder, do something to put yourself at a stronger financial position before you step into real estate investing. But I do love the idea of house hacking. I love the idea of buying a duplex or a single family with an ADU. I love that delayed gratification and sacrificing comfort for your financial future. What do you think about that element, Rob? I'm glad you said that. Yeah. With a flip, there's an exit strategy and a timeline where you get out of that debt with the house hack you're pretty much going to do that for for a long while i think now if you are somebody who has been considering borrowing private money yourself and you want to know more about that bp has some good resources for you on our website go to biggerpockets.com and under build your team click find a lender where you can find some information about what you should be looking for in a private lender if, if this is something that you're thinking about exploring Rob, thank you for joining me on Seeing Green. It's always better when I'm seeing Graba Solo instead of just seeing green. So I appreciate you being here. I said, hey, thanks for having me on. And thank you all for joining us on the show. We look forward to being here with you next time where we will have another Seeing Green element at the end of the regular podcast. If you've liked this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. Those help us out a ton. This is David Green for Graba Solo signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.